And we're back with another episode of the Anarchist Experience, episode 203, uh, a.k.a. season 3, episode 23. Uh, coming at you solo this week. Uh, MC is out at a Narco Poco, so it's just me. Uh, so you know what that means. No call-in numbers, uh, not much commentary, and pretty much just Richie Rich reads the news. And I'll be honest, uh, not much going on this week yet again. Um, it's a little weird as I sit here and think about things. Uh, I've settled in into a pretty uh, mundane and overall unmolested and unharassed and for the most part unaggressed upon uh, life since making the move. So it's a little less exciting, um, but a lot more free, which was always the goal. So <laughs> with that being said, let's just read the news. Headline, uh, the state expands its responsibility in order to expand its power. Uh, headline, is it too late for nonviolent means to restore American liberty? Uh, headline, Pennsylvania lawmaker calls for thoroughly unconstitutional tax on violent video games. Uh, headline, pocketing 1,000% markup, Venezuelans smuggle out precious foods. Uh, headline, what techno-futurists get wrong about the economy. Uh, headline, no plastic bottles, utensils, or cups. That's what some lawmakers are proposing. And finally, headline, the SUV that's about to change asset forfeiture rules nationwide. All right, let's jump in the middle and do this one. No plastic bags, utensils, or cups. Uh, that's what some lawmakers are proposing. Uh, I bring, see, this is the weird thing, right? I moved, and yet the whatever is going on in Hawaii uh, is so ridiculous, uh, that the news keeps crossing my feet. Um, and it's not like I, I subscribe to, you know, local news outlets. These are like local news stories that have garnered a national media attention for obvious reasons. Um, and then I sit here, I think it's like, you know, again, I, I live such a mundane life that I, I know from talking to friends around here, um, that there is some bad stuff, uh, going on in state in New Hampshire uh, where I currently reside. Uh, and yet I don't care all that much. Like, why should I? I mean, I, I moved, I moved, uh, obviously for the free state project and, and to get more freedom and more Liberty. Uh, and again, with my current lifestyles, like I don't really care what the legislature does. Cause at this point I'm just going to ignore, uh, all the bad laws as often and as much as possible and continue to live my life uh, the way it is now. Um, and I think one of the big ones that came up recently, like in-state, was yet another attempt uh, to pass um, like an income tax. And, you know, should they do so, that's like, that's money out of my pocket. And I go, well, that's okay. But not, not that's okay, but, you know, that was that was the state of things in Hawaii when I was there. And I just took like, you know, the most, deductions or, or claim the most dependence as possible to minimize that as much as possible. And as long as uh, New Hampshire allows, you know, the checkbox like the feds for the exempt, you know, tab, uh, I'll just go ahead and check that, you know, and then let the cards fall where they lie. Uh, and so I'm not, you know, so again, it's just, you know, it's something that I ignored as much back home and I'll ignore as much as I can here um, to the best extent possible. Um, but this kind of stuff, right, this, you know, if, if this 
passes, uh, much like the the proposed tobacco uh, age restrictions from that we talked about last week that didn't go through. By the way, uh, this would like have an impact on my daily life, right? Like it, it would be difficult to get around this type of of restriction on freedom because what are you going to do? You know, like metal carry, everyone's going to be like carrying around metal utensils, you know, glass cups and, and glass bottles for everything. Like what, what's the, what sense does that make? Um, so here's the article. Plastic bags are out. Plastic straws are on their way out. Now Hawaii lawmakers want to take things a big step further. Uh, They're considering an outright ban on all sorts of single-use plastics common in the food and beverage industry, from plastic bottles to plastic utensils to plastic containers. Uh, Senate Bill 30, uh, excuse me, Senate Bill 522 has already passed through two committees and is on its way to two more. Supporters say it's an ambitious and broad measure that would position Hawaii as the leader in the nation and ensure that Hawaii's oceans have a fighting chance as the global plastic pollution problem worsens. Uh, But others worry about the practicality of such a proposal. How, for example, would you go about distributing water in emergency situations without plastic bottles? Would companies have to produce special packaging for Hawaii? And what do food establishments use instead of plastics? Those questions aren't clarified in the measure, uh, though they'll undoubtedly have to be addressed as the measure continues its way through the legislature. The bill does have an implementation schedule, though. Uh, It would ban state and county agencies from buying, using, or distributing single-use plastic foodware, including beverage containers, utensils, straws, and polystyrene foam containers by July 2021. Uh, The ban would extend to food establishments and hotels the following year. In 2023, a statewide plastic bag ban would go into effect, and by 2025, no individual or business in Hawaii could sell or otherwise provide single-use plastic beverage containers in Hawaii. Uh, Several counties have already targeted single-use plastics. Plastic bags are already banned in all Hawaii counties, and Maui and Hawaii counties have bans on polystyrene food containers. Uh, Those who support the much broader state proposals say drastic action is needed to cut down on the plastic pollution, and Hawaii can be the forefront of a movement to address a global crisis. Uh, But opponents include businesses and industry associations who say alternatives to plastics are hard to find, impractical, and expensive. Uh, Something like this could put us out of business, wrote Aaron Wolf of Sujinko's in testimony. Uh, End of the article. See, and yet again, what are they thinking? Um, It's weird. You know, I I don't even know what to say. It's weird, right? They, They don't even like think through how these problems are going to be solved. They just assume um, that the, you know, business owners and people and whoever's doing the purchasing um, will just find a way, right? Whatever restriction we put in front of them, they find a way anyway, so they'll just find a way. Uh, And I get it. You want to be ambitious. You want to save the planet. You want to, you know, do all that uh, fun stuff environmentally, um, but do it voluntarily. Like, you know, if the if the goal is to reduce it, you know, there's already places that, you know, with, without the ban, um, started using other things, right? Like I read an, uh, an article, um, not for the show, but just, you know, there was, uh, I think somewhere in Mexico, they were starting to use uh, avocado seeds instead of plastic for utensils. So does that mean Hawaii is going to have to start using avocado seeds uh, for that? You know, how much does that cost? Where are they going to get it from? Is there going to be enough? Uh, 
because they're on a tiny rock uh, in the middle of the ocean, basically in the middle of nowhere, right? What company is going to produce special needs products uh, just for Hawaii? Like, is it worth it to run, uh, to, to alter your entire production line um, to import, uh, you know, solo cups, uh, you know, and, and solo plastics or whatever brand happens to be? Like, I don't think those get produced, manufactured <laughs> in state. Like, I don't, I've never heard of a big uh, manufacturing plant producing, you know, Hawaii made uh, plastics uh, in, in, you know, in that capacity. And even if there were, are they going to retool the entire factory uh, because, you know, they're basically out of business at that point? Is a mainland company going to retool an entire factory to produce uh, compliant products for, you know, the, the tiny little island in the middle of nowhere? Uh, I have my doubts, right? You know, um, bigger companies have pulled out for less, right? You know, they've when the restrictions got too much for some of the bigger companies, they go like, well, we're just not going to serve your area anymore. Uh, and what does that do for prices? Right. You know, what does that do for black market goods? Uh, when, when legitimate businesses won't serve the area because of all the, the limitations, um, uh, you got to get your straw somewhere, right? You gotta, you gotta get your plastic fork somewhere. Um, and why do that? Why do that to business? Why do that to consumers who need it? Uh, and again, I get it. Plastic forks, you know, oh my God, there's, they're so bad for the environment. We got to do something about it. Uh, but they're also convenient, right? Like I, I, I lived in Hawaii, so I know how much people need to work, uh, in order to get by and eating out is not uncommon, you know, and taking things to go is not uncommon. Uh, and what are you going to do when you have to like eat on the road? You can, again, you know, have metal utensils just littering your car. Uh, at that point, because you can't throw them out because they're, they're not single use, um, and you're busy. So who knows when you're going to get around to it, which is why people use the plastics and the styrofoam and the papers and whatever to begin with, you know, it's, it's a lot easier. It's a lot more convenient. What do you need? You know, what do you need to set out like a full plating, uh, for, for a to-go meal in the first place? You don't, um, if you don't give a straw, then then what? You know, it, everything's going to be one of those flip top lids. You know, while you're trying to drive down the road and you know drink your mixed smoothie or whatever. <laughs> like they, they're so stupid, uh, and and they don't think it through, obviously. Um, and it's this is this is the difficulty of things, right? And I I see it here. Um, it's been going through my mind a lot with the the AOC. Uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez comments and the Green New Deal and just about every bit of utter nonsense that comes out of her mouth. And I want to relate it uh, to everyone's favorite billionaire, uh, Elon Musk, for a second. And I want to say that I'm aware that Elon Musk uh, is mostly funded through grants and government you know, handouts and, and is pure cronyism. Um, but he is not a member of the government. So it's, it's a little different and I'm not making the claim that what he's doing is right. Uh, but what I'm going to compare him to is like vision, right? Elon Musk looks out into the world and he has a vision of where things could be or where things should be. And then he puts to work his vision. Um, and could he fund it better, more properly? 
Sure, absolutely, 100%. No government funding, better. Um, but when legislatures put forth their vision, right, they apply it to everybody, right? Uh, it's great if you want to have a vision of no plastics at all in the state of Hawaii, right? That's fine. I don't mind that vision. Um, just like I've said in the past, everything comes down to like what mechanism do you choose to implement that vision? Uh, and if you choose one of violence, force, and coercion against fellow human beings, uh, in this case, you know, the citizens and business owners of Hawaii, um, you've chosen wrong. You've chosen poorly. You know, think another way through it. Start a coalition. I don't care. Just don't, just don't force it on everybody. Um, and with the AOC, right, it, I, I respect her vision, right? She says, we, you know, we, we're going to go uh, off of coal power and off of uh, fossil fuel power um, by 2025 or whatever it is she said. I go, great, grand vision, right? More power to you. And they go like, well, we don't have the technology for that. And her response was, well, invent it. I go, great, right? Grand vision. No problem there. Uh, but to mandate it is something else entirely, right? If you, if you want to hold the vision, um, that at some point in the near future, uh, everything will be, you know, powered by renewable energy. Great. Right. I, I can, I can commend that. I can respect that. Um, and one of the things that, uh, opponents of her fail to understand is that there's a lot of things that didn't exist before they were invented. Right. So, so the claim to invent the technology that hasn't been invented yet is not necessarily a bold claim. It's what humans have done throughout the ages. Uh, the problem in her case, in this case, in, in Musk's case, is the funding source for that invention, right? If you, if you want to solve a problem that hasn't been solved before and it requires new thinking and new technology and, and you know, new, uh, new ways of doing things, uh, please, by all means, right, invent it, you know, and, and, but do it on your own dime, do it on your own time. Um, yeah. All right. Moving on. All right. Here's another one that hits home. A Pennsylvania lawmaker calls for a thoroughly unconstitutional tax on violent video games. Uh, it's not about school safety. It's about the money. Say that I told you that a state lawmaker wanted to tax a particular product that he found objectionable and then use that money to fund school-related projects. When asked about it by the press, he would openly acknowledge that part of the purpose of the tax was to serve as a new source of revenue for the state. What, which political party would you assume this lawmaker belonged to? If you assumed he's a Democrat, you are so very, very wrong. It's actually Republican Pennsylvania State Rep. Christopher Quinn who wants to add a 10% sales tax to a particular retail good, violent video games. Uh, Quinn wants to apply a special tax on games with adults-only ratings that may include scenes of intense violence, graphic sexual content, or gambling with real currency, according to the text of HB 109. Uh, this money would be collected by the state and then set aside in a special fund, the Digital Protection for School Safety Account which will be distributed to schools to enhance school safety. Uh, to be blunt, Quinn is trying to make video games the villain of school shootings in order to justify a new tax. Uh, from NBC10 in Philadelphia, Quinn told NBC10 this is not about censorship, but rather about finding a new revenue stream. He did, however, note that many have concluded that violent video games are a risk factor for potential violence. 
The bill does not prohibit violent video games. Instead, it simply provides a revenue stream. It tries to recoup some of the societal cost to help make our schools safer by taxing an industry that has been shown to lead to violence, he said. Uh, shown to lead to violence is complete and utter crap. Uh, as video games have become more and more popular, violent crimes have been going down, not up. Uh, second, his memo announcing his plans reference a single paragraph from a single article from the National Center for Health Research, and that article points to the American Psychological Association analysis that found that video games might include aggression, but that same study clearly states that they have not been able to find any link between violent video games play and delinquency or criminal behavior. A recently released study from researchers from the University of Oxford examines the behavior of 1,000 gaming teens and found no link at all between violent games and aggressive behavior. Laying the blame on video games is just a useful crutch anyway. Bringing up revenue, Quinn made it abundantly clear that his real goal is to find a way for the state to get its hands on more taxpayer dollars in order to bankroll pet projects. After all, video games are very popular. The industry ranked in, raked in about $135 billion in 2018. He may run into significant barrier known as the First Amendment. He's attempting to levy a tax on a game on the basis of its content. In 2011, the Supreme, excuse me, in 2011, the Supreme Court ruled that video games are protected by the First Amendment and struck down a California law that banned the sale of violent video games to minors. The Entertainment Software Association, which represents game companies, warns that Quinn's tax would be unconstitutional. That may be why Quinn's bill has already failed once, but just like a gamer struggling to hack and slash through dark souls, he doesn't appear to be given up more on the fake consensus that violent video games led to aggression in teens uh, by reason my Baylor. Okay. Uh, link to another article. End of the article. The audacity of this guy uh, to claim that it's just for another revenue stream, right? Like back in the good old days, they had to hide that stuff, right? It had to be like for the public good or for public safety or for the children or help the elderly or help those who are down and downtrodden and can't do, you know, there, there had to be <laughs> some uh, social concern uh, to to put forth your little nanny projects. And now it's just, no, we need the money. We're not getting it enough and we need a new, we need we need something new to tax, right? Let's, let's tax violent video games. Let's tax sweet drinks. You know, let's, let's tax uh, single use plastics. Uh, how about stop stealing people's money and worry about your own stuff? You know, uh, that's, you know, and, and who cares? Uh, you know, it, it, this is a reason piece and they're usually, yeah, they used to be pretty good. Um, but to, you know, to, to lay it, lay it on thick, like, oh, he's the Republican. Um, like who cares, right? He's a, he's a politician, you know, trying to pass a law to restrict people's freedoms or to get more money out of them, you know? And again, you know, what, what's, what's the point of doing it is just for the money right? Nothing else, not, uh, to, you know, uh, to get the money to put back into schools to, you know, pr to protect the schools. Uh, but again, the, the, the studies have already shown that false, right? Not going to happen. That has, has no impact. So it's just another, it's another funding source, uh, to put forward for whatever he thinks, you know, the schools need more restrictions, uh, less freedom, more prison-like structures, more security, uh, 
like that one school was it uh, that one school was like hired armed uh armed veterans uh to protect the school now because <laughs> that's that's what you need to protect the, against a school shooting uh, how about just eliminating schools altogether right where's the real solutions coming from um and, and, and like i said this one hits home to me because i play video games um and i have violent tendencies which i've curbed for the most part as an adult uh i'm more i'm, I'm calmer more wusa uh in in some instances um but i'm still angry i still lash out i'd like to lash out this guy but it has nothing to do with the, the games that i play right i you know i i play violent games i play peaceful games i play driving i play all kinds of games um not all necessarily violent um i play the ones that are like fun for me um but never has it been never has it been associated uh with you know violent behavior in schools or or anything else right i'm not i don't i don't play the games and then go like oh man i gotta take this out on the streets you know yeah gotta you know gotta what is it grand theft auto is the big one uh and gotta go steal cars and run amok and rampage through the you know through through the cities no it doesn't happen i'm like i'm the most calm and peaceful driver especially now that it's winter time um even if i've like just put down the controller and like have to go out it's like it has no bearing uh on my actual everyday life and even in high school had no bearing on that you know it was just like an amped up teenager at the time um regardless of the games that i was playing puzzle games who cares right so again like i said this this one hits close to home as a as a gamer i'm i'm taking that label back um you know for a long time i was too busy too broke uh to play games and again you know uh, making some moves finally getting some parts of my life back on track uh i i can afford to buy and i can afford to play so i just you know and i'm i personally going through like a retro phase i don't know if i've made talked about that on the previous show not that it matters uh to the anarchist experience um but man you know so some of that stuff is is ridiculously more expensive than, than than just buying a new game you know like new game new games on clearance i was checking this before i started the show this morning uh picked up a couple couple of like new games for uh my personal favorite console at the moment the xbox one like less than 20 bucks for decent games um same price as I would have to pay for some like old retro game uh, somewhere else. So I don't know. I don't know what the deal with that is. Like you know, I'm sure economically it has to do with scarcity and the rarity of these games. And I just saw like a Super Mario Brothers game just sold for like a hundred k. Like oh my god, this is you know, this is returning to become an expensive hobby. Like every every little piece here and there is just wow. That's I could get so much more if, if I, if I wasn't going through this phase right now. Um, but gosh, darn it. I want it. And you know, now that I'm, now that I made the move, uh, freed up some of my income, my, my disposable income, uh, to, to get back into the hobby. So I'm taking, I'm taking the title back. Uh, you know, at, at one point I might've thrown in the label hardcore cause that's like all I did. Um, and then, you know, talking to some friends, you know, when, when they were hardcore and I was only playing like a handful, it's like, no, I just casual, casual gamer, like not one of those guys. Um, and now it might just, you know, fit more in the realm of like collector, 
because uh, my shelf is wide and deep and full of sealed games because as much time as I have to play, I don't have all that much time to play. Um, but when I, when I see articles like this uh, striking out against uh, my people, my, my, my co-gamers uh, out there, it just makes me a little upset. Not furious, because uh, uh, again, it's it's Pennsylvania, and I don't I don't live there. Um, but should it come here, uh, it's just going to be another thing to try to avoid, right? All of a sudden, um, you know, secondhand markets and and wherever else you don't end up buying those games from um, will become more prevalent as people try to avoid the taxes. So we'll see. Moving on. All right, let's do some of the controversial stuff. Is it too late for nonviolent means to restore? American liberty. And I say controversial because again, you know, it's, it's, I enjoy, uh, my little porcupine community, uh, here in Manchester, New Hampshire. And, you know, I would venture out more if I, if I wanted to. Um, so I'm not trying, I, you know, and plus I just moved, we only been here for what, like f five months. Oh man, almost six months now. Um, so I'm not trying to rock the boat or, or, you know, lash out or do anything out of out of the ordinary or controversial but you know you you people uh, if you've been listening long enough know basically how I feel uh, about the the state and state agents and how little I care if uh, bad things should befall them uh, but I also understand that people have been kicked out of the Free State Project whatever that means you know like uh, banned from attending events which you know I don't want to because that's the people I usually hang out with. So I don't want to get banned for saying controversial things. But at the same time, someone has to, um, which is why I just read the article. So is it too late for nonviolent means to restore American liberty? There's absolutely no evidence to support the statement that America is the greatest country in the world. We're seventh in literacy, 27th in math, 22nd in science, 49th in life expectancy, 178th in infant mortality, third in median household income, number eight in labor force, and number four in exports. We lead the world in only three categories. Number of incarcerated citizens per capita of adults who believe angels are real and defense spending, uh, where we spend more than the 26 countries combined, 25 of whom are allies. America sure used to be the greatest country in the world. We stood up for what was right. We fought for moral reasons. We passed laws, struck down laws for moral reasons. We waged wars on poverty, not on poor people. We sacrificed. We cared about our neighbors. We put money where our mouths were, and we never beat our chest. We built great big things, made ungodly technological advances, explored the universe, cured diseases, and we cultivated the world's greatest artist and the world's greatest economy. We reached for the stars, acted like men. We aspired to intelligence. We didn't belittle it. We didn't make us feel inferior. We didn't identify ourselves by who we voted for in the last election. And we didn't scare so easy. We were able to be all these things and do all these things because we were informed by great men, men who were revered. First step in solving the problem is recognizing there is one. America is not the greatest country in the world anymore. Uh, Aaron Sorkin from the Newsroom, Episode 1. Life in America has become gut-wrenching, soul-sucking, misery-drenched, demoralizing existence. 
We have managed to survive crackdowns, clampdowns, shutdowns, showdowns, shootdowns, standdowns, knockdowns, putdowns, breakdowns, lockdowns, takedowns, slowdowns, meltdowns, and never-ending letdowns. We have been held up, stripped down, faked out, photographed, frisked, fracked, hacked, tracked, cracked, intercepted, accessed, spied on, zapped, mapped, searched, shot at, taser, tortured, t- tackled, trussled up, tricked, lied to, labeled, libeled, leered at, shoved aside, saddled with debt not from our own making, sold a bill of goods about national security, tuned out by those representing us, tossed aside, and taken to the cleaners. We've had our freedoms turned inside out, democratic structure flipped upside down, and our house of cards left in shambles. We've had our children burned by flashbang grenades, our dogs shot, and our old folks hospitalized after accidental encounters with marauding SWAT teams. We've been told that as citizens we have no rights within 100 miles of our own borders, now considered constitution-free zones. We've had our faces filled in government database. Oh, excuse me. We've had our faces filed in government databases, our biometrics cross-checked against criminal databanks, and our consumerist tendencies cataloged for future marketing overtures. We've seen the police transform from community peacekeepers to point guards for the military corporate state. From Boston to Ferguson and every point in between, police have pushed around, prodded, poked, probed, scanned, shot, and intimidated the very individuals, we, the taxpayers whose rights they are hired to safeguard. Uh, Networked together through fusion centers, police have surreptitiously spied on activities and stooped on our communications, using high-tech devices provided by the Department of Homeland Security. We've been deemed suspicious for engaging in such dubious activities as talking too long on a cell phone and stretching too long before jogging. Dubbed extremists and terrorists for criticizing the government and suggesting it's tyrannical or oppressive and subject to forced colonoscopies and anal probes for allegedly rolling through a stop sign. We've been arrested for all manner of crimes that never used to be considered criminal, uh, let alone uncommon or unlawful behavior, letting our kids walk to the playground alone, giving loose chains to a homeless man, feeding the hungry, and living off the grid. We've been sodomized, victimized, jeopardized, demoralized, traumatized, stigmatized, vandalized, demonized, polarized, and terrorized, uh, often without having anything to justify such treatment. Blame it on a government mindset that renders us guilty before we've even been charged, let alone convicted, of any wrongdoing. In this way, law-abiding individuals have had their homes mistakenly raided by SWAT teams that got the address wrong. Uh, One accountant found himself at the center of a misguided police standoff after surveillance devices confused his license plate with that of a drug felon. We've been railroaded into believing that our votes count, that we live in a democracy, that elections make a difference, that it matters when we vote Republican or Democrat, and that our elected officials are looking out for our best interests. Truth be told, we live in an oligarchy. Politicians represent only the profit motives and the corporate state, whose leaders know all too well that there is no discernible difference between red and blue politics, because there is only one color that matters in politics, green We've gone from having privacy in our inner sanctum and having nowhere to hide with smart pills that monitor the conditions of our body, homes that spy on us with smart meters that monitor our electric usage and thermostats and light switches that can be controlled remotely, and cars that listen to our conversations and track our whereabouts. Even our cities have become a wall-to-wall electronic concentration camps, with police now able to record high-def video on, of everything that takes place within city limits. We've had our schools locked down, our students handcuffed, shackled, and arrested for engaging in childish behavior, such as food fights. Our children's biometrics stored, their school IDs chipped, their movements tracked, and their data bought, sold, and bartered for profit 
by government contractors. All the while, they are treated like criminals and taught to march in lockstep with the police state. We've been rendered enemy combatants in our own country, denied basic due process rights, held against our will without access to an attorney or being charged with a crime, and left to molder in jail until such a time as the government is willing to let us go or allow us to defend ourselves. We've had the very military weapons we funded with our hard-earned tax dollars used against us, from unpiloted weaponized drones tracking our movements on the nation's highways and byways, and armored vehicles, assault rifles, sound cannons, and grenade launchers in towns with little to no crime to an arsenal of military-grade weapons and equipment given free of charge to schools and universities. We've been silenced, censored, and forced to conform, shut up in free speech zones, gagged by hate crime laws, stifled by political correctness, muzzled by misguided anti-bullying statutes, and pepper sprayed for taking part in peaceful protests. We've been shot by police for reaching for a license during a traffic stop, reaching for a baby during a drug bus, carrying a toy sword down a public street, and wearing headphones that hamper our ability to hear. We've had our tax dollars spent on $30,000 worth of Starbucks for Department of Homeland Security employees, $630,000 in advertising to increase Facebook likes for the State Department, and close to $25 billion to fund projects ranging from the silly to the unnecessary, such as laughing classes for college students and programs teaching monkeys to play video games and gamble. We've been treated like guinea pigs targeted by the government and social media for psychological experiments on how to manipulate the masses. We've been tasered for talking back to police, tackled for taking pictures of police abuses, and threatened with jail time for invoking our rights. We've even been arrested by undercover cops stationed in public bathrooms who interprets men's shaking off motion after urinating to be acts of lewdness. We've had our possessions seized and stolen by law enforcement agencies looking to cash in on asset forfeiture schemes. Our jails privatized and used as a source of chief labor for mega corporations. Our gardens smashed by police seeking out suspicious-looking marijuana plants, and our buying habits turned into suspicious behavior by a government readily inclined to view its citizens as terrorists. We've had our cities used for military training drills with Black Hawk helicopters buzzing the skies. Urban Shield, oh, where's it go? Urban Shield exercises overtaking our streets and active shooter drills, wreaking havoc on unsuspecting bystanders in our schools, shopping malls, and other soft target locations. We've been told our national security is more important than civil liberties, that police dogs' noses are sufficient cause to carry out warrantless searches, that the best way not to get raped by police is to follow the law. And that's what police officers say in court will be given preference over what video footage shows, that an upright posture and acne are sufficient reason for a cop to suspect you of wrongdoing, the police can stop and search a driver based solely on anonymous tip, and that police officers have every right to shoot first and ask questions later if they feel threatened. Are you depressed yet? You should be. More than depressed, however, you should be outraged at what has been done to our country. I am outraged at what has been done to our freedoms. We are no less prisoners than those who are incarcerated behind prison walls. As Aldous Huxley recognized in his foreword to A Brave New World Revisited, it is perfectly possible for a man to be out of prison and yet not free. To be under no physical constraint and yet be a psychological captive, compelled to think, feel, and act as the representatives of a nation-state, or of some private interest within the nation wants him to think, feel, and act. To him, the walls of his prisons are invisible, and he believes himself to be free. 
uh, the prison we inhabit may not be as bleak as the soul-destroying gulags described by Alexander Solzhenitsyn in his masterpiece, The Gulag Archipelago, but that's just a matter of aesthetics. It's time to stop waiting patiently for change to happen, stop waiting for someone to rescue you, and stage a breakout. Get mad, get outraged, get off your duff and get out of your house. Get in the streets, get in people's faces, get down to your local city council, and get over to your local school board, get your thoughts down on paper, get your objections plastered and protest signs, uh, get your neighbors, friends, and family to join their voices to yours. Uh, get your representatives to pay attention to your grievances, get your kids to know their rights, get your local police to march and lopstick with the Constitution, get your media to act as watchdogs for the people and not a lapdog for the corporate state. Get your act together and get your house in order. Uh, appearances to the contrary, the country does not belong exclusively to the corporations or special interest groups or the oligarchs of the war profiteers or any particular religious, racial, or economic demographic. The country belongs to all of us, each and every one of us, we the people. But most especially this, the country belongs to those of us who love freedom enough to stand and fight for it. As I point out in my book, uh, his book, Battle America, the War on the American People, we are fast approaching the point at which we have nothing left to lose. Uh, don't wait for things to get that bad before you find your voice and your conscience. As Solzhenitsyn's character reflects the Gulag Archipelago, how we burned in the camps later, thinking what would things have been like if, during periods of mass arrest, for example in Leningrad, when they arrested a quarter of the entire city, people had not simply sat in their lairs, paling with terror at every bang of the downstairs door and at every step on the staircase, but had understood that they had nothing left to lose and had boldly set up in the downstairs hall an ambush of half a dozen people with axes, hammers, pokers, or whatever else was at hand. The cursed machine would have ground to a halt. If, if we didn't love freedom enough, and even more, we had no awareness of the real situation, we purely and simply deserved everything that happened afterwards. Uh, take your stand now, using every non-violent means at your disposable, disposal, excuse me, while you still can. Don't wait to reflect back on missed opportunities to push back against tyranny. Don't wait until you're the last one standing. Time is running out. End of the article. And I would say, let's just assume time is up. Let's just, let's just act that way now, right? Um, like I said, I, 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 I will not openly advocate violence, but f should something befall a politician, uh, I would not think twice or care less uh, about it. Um, if they want to ban uh, plastics, string them up, right? Hang by a hemp rope. <laughs> you know, if, if they want to come after uh, your home, um, fire when ready. Why not? Uh, we just, uh, earlier this week, we, we got around to watching um, Little Pink House. Um, the, you know, uh, the well-known story based on the book, Little Pink House, of acid forfeiture. And we're going to get into an acid forfeiture story in a minute. Um, so we'll tie that in too. Um, but we watched the movie and it was sad. It was sad and uh, frustrating for me to watch because, like I said, I I personally have violent tendencies, uh, and I don't know if it's been discussed here in the past. Uh, I, I think what's going to end up on my headstone sooner or later is uh, damn the consequences. Um, I, I do what's right or what I feel is right uh, every chance I get. And I don't really worry or care too much 
about you know the fate that befalls me for a right decision in my mind. Um, and sometimes there are costs to that decision, and sometimes there aren't. Uh, you know, or and they, however that works out. So when, as I'm watching this movie, uh, you know, based on the true story, based on the book, and there's a part in it where they're like, you know, tearing down the neighbor's house with a bulldozer. And everyone wants to like line up and protest and the cops show up to like get the protesters out of the way and, and they go peacefully. Well, how does that solve anything? Right? You get arrested, they tear your house down anyway, and you're the bad guy. As long as you're going to be the bad guy, fire upon the other bad guys, right? I don't think, you know, I, I don't think I could stand there. I don't think I could have stood there uh, in peaceful protest, silently holding signs um, while my property was, you know, violated. Um, I don't think I could. And, you know, maybe it's because, maybe it's because I played violent video games and now I'm predisposed to violent action and lashing out. Um, I just, I don't see it. Right. And I get, you know, you pick your battles where you can, right. I'm not, I'm not gunning down every cop that like, you know, pulls me over because there are ways to win those. Um, but when the bulldozer is at your door, ready to knock down your house, right. I don't know how much further you can go, you know, and the cops show up to make sure that the bulldozer is allowed to do his job on behalf of the city. Right. I don't know how much further down the road of, of corruption and ignorance to, to peaceful people, uh, you can get before you go like, no, the, you know, if, if you are going to bring the fight, uh, then we're going to have a fight. You know, if, if you're going to come with, uh, machines of destruction and, and weapons of war, uh, then, you know, by golly, let's do it. <clears throat> I remember seeing the, you know, the pictures in the past of peaceful protests and you have all the protesters holding their signs and, you know, they're all dressed nicely. And then on the other side, they're like the cops in riot gears, ready, ready to stop a riot. Um, and you know, the, the, the peaceful caption reads, you know, uh, only one group came here to riot today. Can you guess which one or something to that effect Im- implying that, you know, the state is always looking for a violent solution to their problems. Um, but in the end, you know, you, you get, you get video of the police beating protesters, right? You get video of protesters being carried away and, and hurt and maimed and arrested, uh, because they showed up unprepared for what was about to happen. <clears throat> right. I'm going to jump into the alt-right for a second here and, and take us back to Charlottesville. Um, because they also showed up unprepared, right? Uh, say what you want, and I've, I've, you know, I, I've, I've spoken out against uh, the tactics of uh, Antifa in the past, and how I just, you know, not necessarily their tactics, but their targets, because I think I think they 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 have the right idea, just the wrong implementation for the most part. Uh, but when they show up to counter protest, they show up for war, you know. They're, they're ready to fight. Uh, and the, the alt-right did a lot of talking ahead of time about, you know, those beta boys and, you know, those anti, you know, 
derogatory terms that they bandied about, about, you know, the, the leftist protesters and, and whatever, um, and how they didn't want violence. Well, but you knew it was coming and, oh, oh, but we'll be demonized in the press. Uh, if we're the ones who use violence, who cares? You got demonized anyway, and you got your ass kicked, right? You know, if, if you're the violent ones, right? If you're the, if you're the, like the gun toting alpha male, I hit the gym hard and I practice with my guns on, I'm part of the militia. If you're practicing for violence, you should welcome the violence. You should wave it on and bring it on uh, because it's theoretically a battle you could win. And if the state is always going to show up with violence because that's what they do, uh, you know, pacifists get run over, right? They get mowed down. They're, they're the first ones to go because they have no shot and, and honor no resistance. So if the state is already violent and the state is already going to bring the violence, um, maybe you as a protester, if you're going to go out there, uh, should be prepared for it, right? Maybe you shouldn't wear just a t-shirt and cargo shorts, right? Maybe get ready for a battle. Maybe get some defenses up, right? A yellow vest is not going to protect you against a shotgun blast, but Kevlar might. So maybe you wear, you know, maybe you wear something underneath and maybe you carry something to fire back with as long as you're going to go out there and you know that they're coming with a war, right? If the, if the, if the violence is already coming to you, um, why would you not number one, prepare for it? And number two, be ready to fight back. You know, if, if you're, if you're not ready to do that, why bother going out there? Right. Just, you know, line up, you know, line up like the, the, the gulag archipelago, right. Bow down when they come kicking through the door, uh, Say nothing when they line you up to put you on the train um, and, you know, say a quick prayer as they turn the gas on to exterminate you. Uh, or, you know, if you know that's coming, and I, I don't think with all the examples given in this article uh, that we can say like, oh, we did not see this coming. Right? There, there was, how could we have possibly known uh, that this was going to be a thing, right? Yeah, maybe certain subcultures, right? I'm, I'm, I'm sure the, the black folks have been well aware of this type of violence long before uh, white people knew that the police were bad guys. Um, but even still, right? Uh, you know, the, you talk about the ghetto gangs, gang violence in bad neighborhoods, and, you know, the, the police show up and they round up everybody, you know, fire back. You're willing to fire on, on your own neighbors, your own community, but you're not willing to fire on, like, the truly oppressive? Give me a break. Fire back. You know, team up. Team up and take them down. What do I care? It's your community. You're the ones getting harassed. Uh, you fight back and be prepared for it, right? If you're not willing to fight back, then, you know, then don't. But don't go out there protesting, uh, pretending like this is going to be, you know, a violent overthrow uh, when you're you're not either tooled up, well-equipped, or trained enough to do it. Or at least have the desire to do it, right? And they, the, you know, the, the, the foreign occupations where there's like, you know, the, the insurrection coming from within the communities the, of, of which the U.S. military invades. And we're like, oh man, like Afghanistan, right? Afghanistan is like, you know, where empires go to die, or so they say. Uh, because the Afghan people, for, for lack of equipment, 
uh, and lack of technological advancement uh, are very clear that they're, they are not to be invaded. And that, will they take casualties? Absolutely. Um, but somehow, you know, being prepared for war, being equipped to fight back, uh, does them some good to, to repel, <laughs> to repel all oncomers, uh, you know, for, from the dawn of time or for lack of a better term. Uh, so that's all I'm saying. Like, you know, like I'm, like I said, at the beginning of the show, I live a relatively unmolested, uh, lifestyle at the moment. Um, I see no need to, to protest. I see no need to get out and wave signs. Um, because for me, right. As I've always said, uh, the only real protest is the tax protest. Um, and I can't think of very many taxes, uh, that I'm currently obliged to pay at the moment. Gas tax is about it, right? I don't eat, I don't eat out very often, so I don't pay the food tax and there's no income tax and no sales tax. So I go to work, I keep most of my money, um, you know, the, the small amount that I take out for Medicare, Medicaid that I can't get away with at the moment. Um, but I'm also working on the side hustles, right? Trying to, trying to get one of those things going so I can be as underground uh, as possible even here, right? Like what's, what's the next step, uh, for me, what's not out there, you know, getting violent because at the moment it's not being brought to me. Um, but it is, you know, alleviating myself of what little burden (laughs) I I still carry, uh, to the state, you know, and that's it. You know, if, if, if they're coming knocking on the door, um, better believe that, you know, I'll, I'll be as prepared as I possibly can be to fight back. Um, find a good hill to die on, I guess at some point. Um, but for those, you know, for, for those out there that it's happened to regularly, you know, get on with it, you know, moving on. All right. We'll try to do this one quick so that I can get in one more. Uh, the SUV that's about to change asset forfeiture rules nationwide, the future of civil asset forfeiture laws in the United States now revolves around a single Land Rover. The future of asset forfeiture laws in the United States now revolves around a single car, Indiana resident Tyson Tim's $42,000 Land Rover. It's a nice ride. So nice, in fact, that Tim's argues his constitutional rights under the Eighth Amendment were violated when the state seized it in 2015 after Tim's was arrested for selling heroin to two undercover cops. The SUV, which Tim's did not purchase with drug money, is worth four times the maximum fine for the crime he committed, a grossly disproportionate penalty a lower state court found. The Indiana Supreme Court, however, ruled that the Eighth Amendment has yet to be applied to the states, unlike much of the rest of the Bill of Rights. So Tim's took his case to the U.S. Supreme Court, where he found a more receptive audience. Uh, During oral arguments in November, the justice peppered Indiana Solicitor General Thomas Fisher with pointed questions and openly mocked his arguments that there is effectively no seizure under asset forfeiture laws that would qualify as excessive. Uh, Justice Stephen Breyer, to the laughter of his colleagues, even goaded Fisher into claiming it would be constitutional to seize any car going five mile over the speed limit. SCOTUS watchers highly expected that the court will incorporate the Eighth Amendment extending the U.S. Constitution's protections against excessive fines and fees to state laws and give plaintiffs like Tim's a new line of attack against asset forfeiture, which has traditionally been fought on due process grounds. At least one lawsuit has already been filed in anticipation of the forthcoming ruling. 
In December, Detroit resident Crystal Sison filed a federal class action civil rights lawsuit challenging the aggressive asset forfeiture program in Wayne County, Michigan. Uh, sheriff's deputies pulled over Sison after they surveilled her entering a Detroit medical marijuana dispensary. Uh, after allegedly finding her with $10 worth of pot and discovering that she did not have a medical marijuana card, the deputies issued her a criminal citation and seized her 2015 Kia Soul. Uh, Sison had to pay the Wayne County Prosecutor's Office $1,200 to avoid having her car forfeited. The suit now argues that the forfeiture and the fine were excessive under the Eighth Amendment, whether the Supreme Court will also define what constitutes an excessive fine uh, remains to be seen. Uh, end of the article. Short, sweet, to the point. Uh, this one is more of a, a wait and see uh, type of a thing. So we'll see what the ruling comes down to. And again, um, if, they, if they're already bringing the violence and they're already taking your stuff, right? If it's, if it's not something you're willing to let go of, um, you know, in this case, a car, in the, in the case of the, the little pink house, uh, the, the, the person's home the castle their dwelling um what what would it take you know what would what would it take to to get you off your duff uh and to do something about it and what would you do you know and i don't you know i've i've had enough lower court cases where i don't i just don't trust them right i've i've had you know i've i've been in the car pulled over um as a non-drinker with a non-drinker in the car um, and had the officer make the claim of, I smell alcohol, right? Obviously false. Um, uh, you know, I've, 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 I know the court rules about having to prove all elements of the crime. Uh, and I've been in, in court cases where they'd failed to fulfill their obligation and prove all elements of the crime uh, in verbal testimony and been found guilty anyway, because the judge felt or, or thought that it was more likely than not, uh, me who committed the act, uh, even though there was, uh, even though the burden of proof by the prosecutor has, has failed to be filled. So at, at one point, you know, and, and, you know, the, the reason I don't get violent with those, um, is because I just don't pay the fine, right? The, there's no jail time uh, associated with it. There's, you know, there's, there's just tickets and fines and assessments or whatever. Um, and I just don't pay. Like it's a waste of time. Yes. Uh, but they still don't get their money. And as long as they're after the money, and as long as I withhold that as much as possible, uh, there's my nonviolent protest right there. What's mine is mine's, and you can't have it. Uh, and you can take away all the permission slips that you want. Uh, for me, I will still do what I want anyway. All right. Final article of the day, I think, because I'm looking, pushing up on the end, but I want to get this one out. The state expands its responsibility in order to expand its power. I want to read this one, uh, give a little bit of commentary up front because I might just run out of show uh, before I'm done. Um, the reason this one is important uh, for me to get out there and, and why I might overrun a little bit to get it done um, is because it highlights a mindset uh, of the state and of state employees and state actors uh, like the, the legislatures in the first couple of articles uh, where, you know, they know what's best for you. They know what's best for the citizenry. Uh, and, you know, much like we've been discussing more so uh, in the past when, when MC's here, it really, uh, aside from the violent revolution, it really takes an individual mindset shift to get things done, Right. Like, you know, for to to be free, the mind has to be free first and the body will follow. 
uh, something like free your mind and the body follows something like that, right? The, those that live free, um, believe that they are free before they act, uh, in a free manner. Uh, those that believe they are enslaved, uh, act in a manner that, that aligns with their mental slavery. So it's, it's, a along with, you know, along, along with that, you know, we advocate for agorism and free markets and black markets and all that other fun stuff that free people do. Now, the side hustle, if you will, um, it's also important to, to get that mindset shift first. Um, and the, the more that me and MC go through that sort of shifts, uh, in our individual lives, the more it comes out on the show and the more oddly enough, right. You know, seeking you will find, uh, the more we find articles like this. And it seems that, um, the quote unquote movement is moving in this direction, uh, as well. And that is, you know, shifting of the mindset. So this is um, the mindset of the state and why they think that they can control you. So the state expands its responsibilities in order to expand its powers. Many moviegoers might recognize the following quotation. With great power comes great responsibility. Reality, however, is the exact opposite of what the quote describes. In reality, it is responsibility that precedes power. In a corporation, for instance, when you're hired, you are told your responsibilities and the powers granted to you are those that are necessary for you to accomplish your responsibility. In John's family, John's father demands that everyone stay out of the kitchen while he cooks, lest they distract him. It is not because John's father has the power to keep everyone from the kitchen uh, that he has accepted the responsibility of cooking. It is because he is responsible for cooking that he has the power to keep everyone out of the kitchen. A vast number of self-help books focus on self-responsibility. This is no coincidence. It is only by accepting responsibility for our lives that we can acquire power over our lives. On the other hand, blaming others for our conditions, we forfeit our responsibility and consequently our power. Responsibility is important not just because it provides power, but also because, as psychologist Jordan Peterson has often remarked, most people find the meaning of their lives through responsibility. Examining American history, it is evident that the expansion of government powers has been a direct result of the government's theft of the responsibilities of the individual. Uh, There is a rather straightforward argument that consistently presented by the government in order to justify its theft of responsibilities that rightfully belong to others. Uh, The argument begins by pointing out a problem that exists. Uh, Then the argument says that our lives would be better if the problem didn't exist. The conclusion the government reaches is that since it would be better for the problem not to exist, the government should be responsible for removing it. Uh, Take any governmental expansion as an example. For example, the Federal Reserve justifies itself in part by noting economic crises are bad and shouldn't happen. It then claimed that government through their central banks must be responsible for ensuring that these crises don't happen. Vast powers are then granted to central banks who attempt to carry out their responsibilities uh, similar, similarly, Social Security resulted from the government accepting responsibility of economic security for retirees and other specific groups of people. By doing so, it appropriated to itself the responsibility that belongs to the individuals, families, churches, and other private organizations. Medicare, unemployment benefits, food stamps, and the recent attempts at universal health care aimed to do the same. Such theft of responsibility is disguised and often accepted as virtuous. After all, providing solutions to problems is something that corporations do as well, don't they? Yet the difference lies in the conditions set forth. 
On the other hand, when dealing with a corporation, one can acquire the solution to a problem, food to solve hunger, insurance to solve risk for medical issues, and so forth, at certain specific price. Moreover, right responsibilities and the powers that come with them are specifically listed and explained. Governments, however, take on a variety of responsibilities as a justification for greatly expanding powers, claiming these powers are necessary to fulfill these new responsibilities. These powers, however, usually become unlimited, bloated, and expensive. There is no legal contract between the government and the individuals for whom the government is responsible for. Thus, there is no way of holding the government accountable should it fail to keep up its end of the bargain. Ultimately, the list of responsibilities continually grows, but the list of powers grows even faster. The unconditional manner in which the government offers help and seizes an individual's responsibility serves only to steal the individual's power over his own life and erode away that which provides him meaning. End of the article. Uh, Where are we at? End of the show. Uh, Like I said, I just wanted to get that one out. Find us, anarchistexperience.com, minds.com slash the anarchist experience, twitter.com slash the anarchist exp. And if you want to contribute to the show financially, because hey, why not? Uh, Patreon.com slash the anarchist experience. Thank you very much for listening. We'll talk to you all next week. Peace.